Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023, and I hope that it finds all of you doing very well. I'm actually recording this on Monday, and wow, oh wow, I'm, I'm here at the church a little bit early. Frost on the pumpkin today. I think this is the first hard frost that we have had, and Wow, we maybe that'll slow the grass down just a just a touch. Not the weeds, but the grass at least will slow down a little bit. But anyway, um, I hope that you are enjoying your week thus far. I hope that you are enjoying the beautiful fall weather. If you have beautiful fall weather where you are, we certainly are here at Old Providence. Now, I'm excited to be with you because we come to the conclusion of one of the most dramatic moments in our study on the book of Acts. If you recall, the last couple of times that we've been together, we've been focusing on the fact that Acts 15.1, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then they would go on to say that unless you follow the law of Moses, you cannot call yourselves the followers of Christ. Now, as you might imagine, that's a problem. Problem on multiple fronts. It's a problem because the Gentiles that they are telling this to, they're saying, hey, if you want to be a Christian, you got to be a Jew first. That's not the message that they received. Not those that, that, that were evangelized by Peter, right after Peter's rooftop vision, after his time with the centurion, or excuse me, Cornelius. That's not the message they got from Peter. That's not the message that they got from Paul and Barnabas. That's not the message also that they received from other disciples that went out and started proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message they received was believe on the name of Jesus and be saved and not believe on the name of Jesus plus this fill in the blank over here and you'll be saved. Right? And um, and so this is this major question obviously brought people into sharp dispute, Paul and Barnabas and others. And so what would they do about it? This is the central question. Who's invited to the table? What do you really have to do to be a follower of Christ? Right? As you can see, major, major, major issues. How would they decide this? Well, they'd have a Presbytery meeting, right? They're functioning in the Presbyterian style of church government. The apostles and the presbyteroi, the elders, gather together to consider the question. As we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. And then it talks about how there was much discussion in verse 7. And then Peter gets up. And Peter says, guys, and of course I'm paraphrasing, reviewing so far. Peter stands up and says, guys, wait a second. Hold on. God gave the Gentiles the same Holy Spirit that he gave to us. God has shown that he's not partial. You know what I've shared with you already, right? And so why would we burden them? Why would we place a yoke on these Gentiles that we could never keep anyway? You see, what Peter recognized there in verse 10, he said, now then, why do you try to guess, uh, try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? What Peter recognizes is what Jesus came to do, and that is to fulfill the law, right? So that we're not saved by our own righteousness. We're saved by the righteousness of Christ. That's why salvation is based on belief in Christ alone, okay? By God's grace, 
through faith alone, period, the end. Peter got that. Peter also understood that these laws, the ceremonies, all of these different things that the Lord placed upon ancient Israel, it was always supposed to be temporary. It was always pointing forward to Jesus who would fulfill them. And so Peter's asking, he's pointing out that anybody that adds to God's word is putting God to the test, right? Uh, it would anger God. Anybody that would add to his word or in the same way, anybody that takes away from his word, two people in the same boat just fishing on the other side, okay? It, whether you take away, whether you add, it doesn't matter. God's word is enough. It's complete. Whether you would take away from Jesus being our salvation or add unnecessary requirements to Jesus being our salvation, same problem, right? Just different manifestations of the same problem. The scriptures are enough. Jesus is enough. That's what Peter says. Then after that, we see that the whole assembly, verse 12, became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders. Barnabas and, and, and Paul are talking about all the different things that the Lord had done there, right? We find out about this previously happening as they make their way to Jerusalem for this presbytery meeting. Um, they, they do their thing. And where we left off yesterday was after Paul and Barnabas have said their piece, then James gets up. James, not the brother of Jesus, James, the son of Zebedee, right? John was his brother, okay? You got James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee. This is James, the son of Zebedee, one of the original 12, one of the apostles. We have every indication to believe that while he's not the, the, the sole leader of the church in Jerusalem, he is most likely their pastor, right? He's the one that, that, that comes representing Jerusalem. And where we left off yesterday was with James speaking. And that's where we're going to pick up today. And we're going to see ultimately what are they going to do with this thing? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you that we have the details that you use your servant Luke to record all of these things so that we can see not only what happened in this, that's oh, an amazing story. It's a true story, but amazing. But also so that we would be informed about that which is important to you, that, that our opinions would be shaped by your word about what it means to follow Christ, not by our guesses, that it would be very clearly defined how one comes to salvation. Thank you for giving us your word. Help us to understand it now. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us also to see how it applies to us. We may not be facing a situation where people are requiring us to follow Jewish law and all this other stuff, but we live in this time, Father, when people would add to God's word, when people would take away from God's word. Let us stand up to these things. We won't do that without your Holy Spirit, so please guide us now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> the continuation, the conclusion, really, in a lot of ways, what would they do? Acts chapter 15, verse 13. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon, and he, he's talking about Peter. There's a, and it's fascinating. There's some interesting times when Peter is called Peter and then he's called Simon. And we shouldn't put too much emphasis on that. There are times where, especially when Jesus says it, not so much when others do it, 
realize that that Jesus gave Simon Peter the name Peter, Cephas, rock, right? Um, these guys knew him as Simon. So don't think too much of it, okay? But nevertheless, he said, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, this is verse 16, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Now, in just a second, we're going to read about James's opinion, but realize how he starts and realize something else too. But, but, but first, how does James respond to this? We get a lesson from James. And it is an appropriate lesson. And I'm not saying that Paul and Barnabas did the wrong thing by sharing what they had seen. No, I'm not saying that what Peter did was wrong. Absolutely not. But y'all, at this moment of controversy, you know, and and it doesn't say anything about controversy. Verse 7 just says, after much discussion, y'all. I'm telling you, I was at a Presbyterian meeting on Saturday, okay? My brothers who who watch this, y'all can testify to this. But um, really and truly, okay, we know that there was controversy over this. There was sharp controversy over this. What does James do? James begins with God's word. Now, if you say, well, it doesn't say that he said it. But what he's just quoted here, 16 through 18, the first portion of it can, <clears throat> excuse me, goodness, I'm choking. The first portion of it comes from Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And that last portion in verse 18 actually comes from Isaiah chapter 45. What James has done is he said, brothers, we're at the point. What you are seeing is what God has foretold through the prophets We're seeing it happen right now. James had the wisdom and was filled with the Spirit so that he recognized the moment where they were at. And as an apostle, he claimed that moment to say, hey guys, this is where we're at. What Amos wrote about all those generations ago, what Isaiah wrote about 700 years ago, or however many years it is, around 700, He's saying all of that is pointing to this point in time right now and what the Lord has been doing. As a side note, when we get in discussions, excuse me, when, when we have disagreements amongst one another, James has given us a wonderful example as to where to start. Start with God's word. When you want to know what the Lord wants you to do, as I've said so many times, if you want to hear the voice of God, right, pick up God's word and read it, and you will, okay, because it, it is the word of God. That's where James starts, and he points them to something important, something that ought to shape our thinking and something that, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat, especially something that comes to bear on what we're facing today. Y'all, 
I just said something important there that James is looking back at the prophets and he's saying, brothers, we're here. Look at, look at Amos, right? Look at Isaiah. That's where we are right now. The reason I emphasize that is we've got a lot of people out there pointing to what's going on in Israel with Palestine, with Hamas, saying, guys, guys, the prophecy, we're here right now. This is the prophecy of the end times. But it's fascinating how they're applying that. And, I, and I'm not saying that we are or that we aren't. People ask me, I had somebody else ask me yesterday, a couple of people asked me yesterday, I've had discussions over this. What does this mean? I'm going to tell you, I don't know. And nobody else really does either, y'all. Could this mean that we are on the cusp of Jesus' return? Lord, may it be so. Personally, I do not think that we are. But the reason I don't think we are is because of the logic and the rationale applied to this. A lot of the logic and rationale applied to the current situation that is being faced is that Israel is being restored. Israel is going to rebuild the temple, and that's when Jesus is going to come back. And they're taking a system of, of it's really dispensationalism, and they're applying those principles of prophecy and interpretation to modern-day events. Y'all, it is true. The house of Israel is going to be rebuilt, and Jesus is going to come back question is, what is that house of Israel? Is it about what's going on in the physical nation of Israel as established in 1947, I think it is, by the United Nations? Or is the house of Israel something else altogether? Is the temple that has to be restored? Is that something else altogether? Because, you know, Jesus talked about the fact that I'm going to tear the temple down and then I'm going to rebuild it in three days. Clearly, Jesus wasn't talking about some physical temple. And if there were a physical temple, let me ask you, would God's presence fill that physical temple built in the nation of Israel, the physical nation of Israel, in a nation full of people that not only reject his son, but have, have, have no faith whatsoever, right? And, and what would the purpose of the temple be? You know, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else, we know that it was torn in two, symbolizing the fact and showing the fact there's no longer any separation between God and man. We don't need a temple. We don't need a high priest. As we read in Hebrews, Jesus is our high priest. As we read in Romans, he's seated at God's right hand, interceding on our behalf. But we don't need a high priest. The reason we don't need a high priest is because we don't need a sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice once and for all. He's the perfect spotless lamb of God. So why would we need a temple to offer sacrifices? Again, some of the stuff that's swirling out there about things that are happening in the physical nation of Israel right now, it does not match up with God's word. And I'm going to give you a prime example that in God's providence, when we started the book of Acts months and months and months ago, right? Who, who would have known that something would have been going on on October 24th, 2023 between Israel and Palestine and there'd be this war? Nobody knew any of that stuff. We started this, but in God's providence, this is where we find ourselves. The issue is the house of Israel being rebuilt and, and Jesus coming back. Yet, what does James say about the house of Israel being rebuilt?
The house of Israel and David's fallen tent are one and the same, right? Because the promise was made to David that someone would always be in his lineage. There would always be one seated on the throne. Well, y'all, that promise made to David, if that throne is about the physical nation of Israel, then we've made God a liar. Instead, we know that God was talking about Jesus, right? The, 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 the shoot out of Jesse, right? The, the lion of the tribe of Judah in the line of David, born in the city of David, right? That's what the promise was really about. And indeed, Jesus is seated on the throne, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet, according to scripture. That God has kept his promise to David. But there is still this subject of David's fallen tent, of the fallen house of Israel. What is it? Is it if Israel wins this war with Hamas and, and, and gets all the land to the sea, is that what it's talking about? Not according to James. In fact, we see that David's fallen house or David's fallen tent is about something entirely different. Listen to what he quotes again. Verse 16, and this is Amos prophesying about rebuilding the house of David. David's fallen tent, fallen Israel. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Y'all, fallen Israel is not about a plot of land in, in, in the Middle East. It's not about where the physical city of Jerusalem happens to rest. Fallen Israel. The fallen tent of David, according to James, and forget about James, this is God's word. According to God, the fallen house of Israel to be restored is about Gentiles coming to know the Lord and Jews coming to trust in Jesus Christ. The fallen tent of David, it's not about a physical plot of land. It's about the church being built. It's about all those who have been called coming to know Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile alike. Because y'all, what comprises the Jewish nation, a real Jew is not one who has been circumcised outwardly. No, not at all. A real Jew is the one who has been circumcised Inwardly, Romans 2.29, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward. Instead, he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. That's what comprises the children of Abraham. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. And if you doubt that, go ahead and take your Bibles. You put me on pause. Take your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3. Okay. Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 19 of, of Galatians chapter 3. Excuse me, verse 15. Brothers, and this is Paul writing the Galatians, who guess what? You know what the Galatians are dealing with? They're dealing with certain men who came from James, certain men that came out of Jerusalem. And guess what they're saying? 
They're saying if you want to be Christians, you have to be circumcised. You got to follow the law of Moses. The same thing that they're dealing with in Acts 15 is going on in Galatians. And Paul is angry about it. He says, brothers, let me take an example. Galatians 3.15. Let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. And I'll listen close. Because here again, you know, we just heard it from James in Acts chapter 15, what the real Israel is. We just heard what the real fallen tent of David is. It's all those Jews and Gentiles, forget about ethnicity, forget about plots of land. It is all those who will come to trust in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, Israel is restored, not when a military action takes place. Y'all, and I'm, this is not pro-Palestine in any way, shape, or form. This is pro-Scripture. You want to know what the house of Israel is? We just read it in Acts 15. If you doubt, listen now. Acts, or excuse me, Galatians 3, verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The Scripture does not say, and to seeds, many, many, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Let me translate. What Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 3 is the promise of the nation of Israel. It's the promise of the fulfillment of God's covenant that he made with Abraham, right? And what Paul has said here is God made that covenant with Abraham for the house of Israel, but the covenant was to Abraham and to his seed not his seeds, not many, many, many people. His covenant was between Abraham and his seed, who is Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, skip to the end of the chapter. Galatians 3, verse 26. Who are the real Jews? What is the real house of Israel that is being built? What is the real fallen tent of David that is being restored? It doesn't have anything to do with a plot of land. Verse 26 of Galatians 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. Now listen close. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then if you really want the capstone on this, where he really brings it home, what makes up the Jewish nation? What makes up modern-day Israel, really? It's not a plot of land that was set aside in 1947 by the United Nations. And if you disagree, that may make you angry. And I'm not saying that Israel isn't a valid sovereign state or anything like that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't support Israel. We should. They're our only allies in that part of the world. For political reasons, we should. And also Hamas is a terrorist organization and they need to be crushed. All right. So, so don't let there be any doubt in your mind. But if you want to know what the real Israel is, y'all, the real Israel is said here. If, and this is Galatians 3.29, and if you don't like it, your problem is with God, not me. If you belong to Christ, <clears throat> then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Y'all, according to God's word, what we just read in Acts chapter 15, the rationale that James uses for saying, no, they don't have to be circumcised. No, they don't have to follow the law of Moses. The whole presumption with that is they need to be part of the house of Abraham before they can follow Christ. They need to follow the law of Moses before they follow Christ. What James is saying here is they're already in because the house of Israel is not about a physical plot of land. The house of Israel is not about ethnicity and bloodlines. The house of Israel is all those who have trusted in Christ, the seed of Abraham. And if you have any doubt, Galatians 3.20, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. If you belong to Christ, other translations say properly, if you belong to Christ, then Abraham is your father and you are one of Abraham's children. You see what God has done in his word here? He's expanded things beyond national borders. He's expanded his kingdom past bloodlines and, and ethnicity. The kingdom of God is based on the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And if you belong to him, it doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter if you were Jewish or anything like that. Y'all, if you belong to Jesus, then Abraham's your father and you're one of his heirs. You have received the promise that was made to Abraham so long ago in, in, in Genesis 12, affirmed in Genesis 15. The promise is all about Jesus. It's not about a physical plot of land. Don't misread me. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't support Israel or anything like that, and Hamas is terrorists that need to be stamped out. But biblically speaking, what has been revealed here is of vast importance. They can't require Gentiles to become Jews in order to be Christians. Why? Because those who place their trust in Christ are spiritual Jews already. It has nothing to do with circumcision. It has nothing to do with who your parents are, what your bloodline is, your ethnicity. It has nothing to do with a plot of physical land. Instead, it's all about Jesus. That's the message of James. He goes on, verse 19 of, of Acts 15. He says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And then he's going to say some other things, and I'll, I'll get into that tomorrow because we're way over for today. But y'all, as it was yesterday, so it is today. What's your application? Jesus is enough. That's why. Jesus is enough. And when it comes to understanding what the Lord is doing, y'all, the kingdom of God is about so much more than plots of land. What was the number one reason that, that they didn't understand Jesus? Obviously, the spiritual reasons. I get that. But what was one of the reasons, the primary reasons they rejected Jesus in the Bible? Because he wasn't going to restore Jerusalem to its former glory. And it, they thought that he was there to deliver them from Rome. He was there to save them from their sins and they missed it because they cheapened it. Don't cheapen Jesus. Don't fall for it. Again, could it be prophecy being fulfilled? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. 
Y'all don't cheapen God's word by reducing it to these things that, that you see out there. Remember the real promise. When the church is built, that's when Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and I pray that my words would not be offensive, though your word is offensive. And, and it's offensive because it butts up against our preconceived notions. And, and Father, forgive us if we would reduce your word to, to the signs and wonders that we would look for. Instead, let us focus on what you have said, what you have revealed, which shouldn't be misunderstood, but so often is. Thank you for working. We pray for Israel right now. We pray that as a physical nation, that you would spare them from these terror attacks, that, 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 that you would find a way forward to preserve this relationship that we have with that nation. So we pray for the physical Israel, but even more so, I pray for the real Israel, which is completed in the church being built. Oh, Father, we pray that first and greatest prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But as we wait, let us be faithful. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I know I said a lot today. We're 29 minutes in, so I'm going to end this. I know I've said a lot today, but if you have any questions or if you want to yell at me or or whatever, then, then feel free. I'd be glad to talk with anybody. Um, don't do the scree thing in the comments there. Write me and we'll we'll talk. Um, you know, I, I, the, the older I get, the more I'm convinced that, that Facebook arguments are not very profitable. So write me, call me, whatever, and we'll talk about things. But until tomorrow, I hope that you have a very blessed day.